For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday as we begin yet another week of enduring Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. On Twitter and True Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. And by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, we are working on some really big names and some big stuff between now and the end of the year. I don't want to give away too much, and some of these big names have not yet been confirmed, but suffice it to say, we are working on some really big shows coming up. You are not going to want to miss a second of the Monica Crowley podcast, and I so appreciate you guys being here every day for the show and for telling everybody you know about this show, because we don't want anybody we know to suffer from FOMO because they're not listening to this program. So thank you guys so much. Uh, Coming up today here in a couple of minutes, we're going to have a really important but really fun and funny conversation with the ladies from the Chicks on the Right. If you don't know about these two women, they are absolutely dynamite. They are so much fun. We're going to talk about 2020. We're going to talk about Trump and Biden and the the clown show, the crap show that is the university system, uh, the raging anti-Semitism going on in this country. So we've got some serious topics. So we're going to deal with that. And we're also going to have a load of fun, too. This is a conversation you are not going to want to miss. I promise you that. All right. First, though, the Monica Memo. It's all the same revolution. The Weather Underground and the Black Panthers in the 1960s, the No Nukes movement of the 1980s, Antifa and Black Lives Matter in 2020, the anti-Semitic riots of today. It is all the same revolution. It's all the globalist Marxist revolution. When it comes to communism, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always communism. It's always power. So they make up the pretext to riot in order to destabilize society, in order to overthrow the government and free market capitalism. They need the instability in order to do that. So they will make up a pretext, economic inequality, George Floyd, Israel's justified response to Hamas. It doesn't matter to them. They will take any reason and leverage it for the revolution. 
even if they have to make one up, like they did with George Floyd, who we now know died of a fentanyl overdose and not by a cop's knee. In service of this goal, they will literally do or say anything and make excuses for murder, theft, trafficking, rape, It doesn't matter. You throw a horror, they will make excuses for it as long as it serves the revolution. This weekend, we got an example of the latter, rape. So apparently, according to Caroline Glick, who is a fantastic Israeli journalist, the Israeli Ministry for Women's Affairs reached out multiple times to Mrs. Obama, to Michelle Obama, to see if Mrs. Obama would condemn the barbarous mass rapes of Israeli women by Hamas, not just on October 7th, but beyond. And right now we are learning that one of the big reasons why Hamas will not release many Israeli women who are still being held hostage, captive by Hamas, one of the big reasons why they won't release more of them is because they know too much. Townhall.com was reporting this in the last day or so. These women know too much. What do they know? Well, they know that they've been raped. They know that they've been sexually assaulted. So Israel, looking for real support from prominent women around the world, reached out to Mrs. Obama and asked her, please condemn these mass rapes of Israeli women. And our friend Caroline Glick reported that not only would she not condemn, she hasn't even responded to the Israeli government. So I tweeted this out yesterday. I was like, hi, at Michelle Obama, why have you not condemned the barbarous mass rapes of Israeli women? You profess to be a champion of women. Where are you? Your silence is violence. This is how it works, right? Their rules, not ours, Where is she? Well, there's a second Democrat who uh, also tried to play this game, but she got clobbered over the weekend. So Pramila Jayapal, who is a member of Congress from the state of Washington, joined CNN host Dana Bash. Dana Bash is also a system operative. She is on the left, but in dealing with her, she had to raise the rape issue because we are hearing more and more of it, and it is an absolute horror. We just came off the heels of Me Too. Sexual harassment, and in the hierarchy of sexual violence, sexual harassment is horrible, but it is down the list from rape and sexual assault, although it's all of a piece. Harvey Weinstein, etc., with being accused of rape and so on. All of a piece, all horrific. Rape is rape. This is not that hard, guys, to condemn. Except if you're members of the squad and you are a raging anti-Semite, you don't want to say or do anything that's going to come across as sympathetic to Israel. Even if you're being asked to condemn the rape of Israeli women. So Jayapal joins Danabash and... Uh, she's asked about these mass rapes by Hamas terrorists, and she claimed that she condemned it, 
which she did not. And to Danabash's great credit, she asked her a few times about condemning these mass rapes. And every time, Jayapal deflected back to Israel like the trained seal that she is. I've seen a lot of progressive women, generally speaking, they're quick to defend women's rights and speak out against using rape as a, as a weapon of war, but downright silent on what we saw on October 7th. I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned Specifically all of women. the actions. Absolutely. You turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. You don't see Israeli soldiers raping. Well, Dana, I think we're not. I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppressions. Okay, a lot to unpack here. First, while I'm glad that Dana Bash challenged her, she did so in such a soft, quiet tone that you could barely hear her, right? You probably had to put this podcast on pause send it into reverse just to listen to it again, right? Because Donna Bash was so quiet in asking these questions of Jayapal. You could barely hear her. It's almost like she hated having to ask the question, so she basically whispered it. She probably knew or someone told her she had to ask these questions and then follow up if she got the Hamas runaround, but you could hear it in her voice, the awkward pause, the quiet tone, the hesitation in her voice. She did not want to have to press her, but to her credit, she did, although way too gently. I would have been booming in my questions of her. The second point, the left then, uh, because this was such an obvious, pathetic Hamas runaround on rape, for God's sakes, the left then moved against her blasting her for refusing to outright condemn Hamas's mass rapes and sexual assaults of Israeli women. Check it out. CNN's Biana Golodriga tweeted, quote, Good on Dana Bash CNN to continually press Rep Jayapal on condemning Hamas's horrific sexual violence against Israeli women. Jayapal repeatedly said she spoke out specifically against the sexual violence, but has apparently not done so, at least on X, meaning Twitter. Furthermore, on CNN's State of the Union, she seemed to do the minimum condemnation possible before shifting topics. She continues, again, Rep. Jayapal has not specifically condemned Hamas's sexual violence and rape of Israeli women via her official public account on this site. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a Jewish Democrat member of Congress, tweeted, quote, Hamas terrorists raped Israeli women and girls. The only balanced approach, I mean, that is, this whole moral equivalency is so disgusting, guys, isn't it? You hear this from the left constantly. Well, yes, Hamas is bad, but Israel is worse. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, The only balanced approach is to condemn sexual violence loudly, forcefully, and without exceptions. 
outrageous for anyone to both sides sexual violence. Christine Pelosi, daughter of Nancy, tweeted, quote, I should not have to say this in 2023, but here we are. Rape is rape. Do not minimize, excuse, balance, or both sides sexual assault. That is victim blaming we have spent decades trying to undo in the laws, the courts, and the hearts and minds of the people. Hashtag, we said enough. And when Slate, which is a leftist publication, asks why women aren't standing up for Israelis brutalized by Hamas, you know the left has been silent. And we all know why. The progressive left, the communists, the revolutionaries are pro-terrorist and anti-Semitic because that is what helps their revolution. But the Biden White House would not condemn Jayapal. So you've got a Pelosi, you've got Slate, you've got Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you've got uh, CNN all piling on, and there are others piling on Jayapal. But when the Biden White House was asked to condemn her and her comments, Karine Jean-Pierre would not do it. Listen. And then can I get the White House's response to... Uh, Congresswoman Jayapal's comments over the weekend uh, in her interview, she said sexual violence should be condemned, but that we have to be balanced in our condemnation. Was that an appropriate comment? So we've been very, very clear. Uh, you heard a little bit from, from Jake Sullivan about this. Um, I can only speak for, for the president. Uh, that's who I can speak for. And we've been clear. What uh, Hamas did is absolutely reprehensible and full stop. We're going to continue to be clear about that. And we think about, um, you know, rape and the use of rape as being used as a, as a weapon. Uh, that is also reprehensible. And that's full stop. And I'll just leave it there. And I'm speaking for the president of the United States. So I think I've been very clear on that. Any comment, though? I, I just, Congresswoman Jayapal. I just commented on it. I just laid out what we believe is unacceptable. When you cannot blast someone on your own side for, again, refusing to condemn mass rapes committed by a terrorist organization, then you are anti-Semitic scumbags too. When people tell you who they are, believe them the first time. The Biden White House has repeatedly shown us who they are, believe them the first time. So Jayapal refused to condemn the rapes, lied about having done so when she didn't, and threw out there the Hamas propaganda point that the Gaza death toll is 15,000 people. Now, I don't know if it's 15,000 people. No one should trust anything coming from Hamas. But there is a big difference between collateral damage and the intentional raping and killing of civilians which Hamas has done from its inception, from its start, and certainly since October 7th, when they attacked Israel. They're keeping civilians from leaving combat zones. I want to know from Rep. Jayapal and the rest of the squad, where's the condemnation for that? Where's your condemnation for the long list of war crimes committed by Hamas? I'm not going to hold my breath here, but there is one evil actor in this war, and it is not the Israelis. Third point about this, 
What is so interesting about all of this is that it seems that the marching orders have gone out to attack members of the squad. Maybe not AOC, because she's kind of in a separate category, but the overt anti-Semites, and, and AOC has been horrible on all of this, but the overt anti-Semites like Jayapal and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, they are getting primaried. And big money is now coming into those races against them. So the left and the press, but I repeat myself, would not be going after these anti-Semitic clowns unless word came from on high. The left's power brokers, like the left's power brokers are maneuvering Joe Biden out, or at least they're trying. Those same power brokers at the very top of the left Those revolutionaries sitting at the top, you know, revolutions always need leaders, the elite vanguard, and then they need the operatives in the street. They need the rioters. They need the protesters. They need the violent actors. And they need people in positions of power like Jayapal, Omar, Tlaib, AOC. But it does seem like word has come from them to go after these anti-Semitic clowns, not because they disagree with them but because they are starting to become a liability the way Biden is. The left, including George Soros, is funding and pushing all of these pro-Hamas protests in the streets, but trying to contain the fallout at the same time. Look at the universities like Harvard, Yale, all of these elite institutions, the big money donors have stopped donating because the anti-Semitism is so outrageous. So money, you need money for a revolution. The left's power brokers are like, holy crap, this is getting a little too crazy. That doesn't mean they're going to stop the riots in the streets. Oh no, they need the violent mayhem in the streets to keep the revolution going. But they will cut loose so fast political liabilities like Tlaib, Omar, Jayapal, boom, you are gone. Biden, this is what they're trying to do to Biden. As soon as you are a drag on them, you are gone. So while they're funding the street riots, which they need going into next year, by the way, if you liked Antifa, you will love the pro-Hamas anti-Semitic riots for next year. This is just an appetizer, what you're seeing, of what they have planned for next year. So, They're continuing to do the street stuff, but they're also trying to contain the fallout at the higher levels in government, uh, in the universities, with the big donors at the same time. This is a very bizarre tightrope that they're walking and a very difficult one. So watch this space. I want to give you another example of how it's all the same revolution. You know that little twerp, Greta Thunberg? the Swedish climate activist, or that's how she's been billed. Of course, she's a little actress. So many of these people, I mean, I I don't know, they probably believe this crap, but at the same time, they're real actors and actresses. Greta Thunberg is a climate actress. She's being willingly used. So you can't really say she's a useful idiot because I mean, she is, but she also is a willing one. So she is, she is a pawn in this bigger game, but she knows what's going down. I wonder how much she gets paid. 
Has anyone really tracked the money coming into Greta Thunberg? So this little twerp is out there um, talking about climate change around the clock and, and chaining herself to trees and stuff. But she has also, since October 7th, been out there for the Palestinian cause. This is what I mean about it all being the same revolution, guys, and how the issue is never the issue. So Greta's signature issue is climate, but that's not what her whole shtick is really all about. That's not why they have her out there. Yes, she's out there talking about climate, but that's not the real reason she is out there, if you know what I mean. She has been out there since the Hamas attack talking about uh, essentially the end of Israel and the embrace of Hamas and the pro-Palestinian movement. Her organization is called Fridays for Future, and that organization has been promoting rhetoric online that has been endorsed by members of terrorist organizations. She posted a photo of herself uh, shortly after the attack with a stuffed octopus toy in the photo, and that imagery drew all kinds of backlash um, because people were saying that it was sending out an anti-Semitic message. Um, The image was to warn of a global Jewish conspiracy. It was a caricature uh, frequently used by the Nazis. So she took down that post, but since then she has been uh, posting photos of herself with her pals, holding signs supporting Palestine, whatever that is. Palestine has never been a thing, Um, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about Palestine. No, it's Palestinian people, but it's not Palestine, which has never existed. Um, Greta has also continued to post photos of herself protesting in support of the Palestinians and the fight against climate change, you know, pairing the two issues together every single week. I'm sure that the women who have been raped by Hamas are really thinking about climate change as they try to recover their shattered lives. So she has been out there um, and directing all of her Twitter followers to donate to organizations in support of the Palestinian cause. But a number of these groups like Medical Aid for Palestinians and the Palestinian Youth Movement that she's out there promoting appear to be sympathetic to terrorism. A month after the attack, Fridays for Future, her organization published a petition calling for Egypt to open up the Rafah border crossing from Gaza into Sinai. Uh, That petition also accused Israel of committing genocide. It was signed by hundreds of people, including some with ties to terrorist organizations, including one signatory, Abu Alela Mahdi, a former member of the, oh, look at here, the Muslim Brotherhood, which is, of course, designated as a terrorist group by Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and other countries. Okay, so Greta is all about climate change, or so she says. But she is out here railing against Israel, being sympathetic to Hamas, weighing in on what is going on in the Middle East. Since when is this little twerp an expert on the Middle East? She's not. She's a puppet, a willing one, but a puppet for the revolution. With her, they use her and the climate hoax as a lever for the revolution. 
With Jayapal, they use her and anti-Semitism as a weapon for the revolution. With George Floyd, they used race as the revolutionary tool. It doesn't matter. The issue for the communists is never the issue. For the communists, the issue is the ideological revolution and power. That's it. The top line issue doesn't matter. It's all the same revolution. If you understand that, that is the skeleton key to understanding everything you are seeing around you. Absorb it. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to switch gears a bit and talk to the very smart, very fun chicks on the right about 2024, Trump, Biden. Uh, We're going to talk about this anti-Semitic issue. We're going to talk about the communist revolution. We're going to talk about all of it with them. It's going to be a fantastic conversation. Do not go anywhere. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, guys, I've been promoting this now for uh, like two weeks because this is a conversation I've been dying to have because I just know it's going to be so smart and so much fun because these two ladies are so smart and so much fun. They are known as the Chicks on the Right. And that is sort of an all-encompassing title for a podcast, a website, and a big social media presence hosted by two fabulous women, Amy Jo Clark and Miriam Weaver, known on the air as Daisy and Macarena. I got to ask them how they came on. They, they developed those handles because I know they came out of talk radio like me, but I never got a cool handle like that. So they're going to have to tell me that backstory. They started working together in 2009 from their home base in Indianapolis, Indiana, and were radio broadcasters on Indianapolis's 93 WIBC for seven years together. Their live video broadcast airs on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. They have not been thrown off social media yet. (laughs) We wish them a long and thriving professional life on all of these platforms. Their show airs every weekday morning and you can find them at their website, chicksontheright.com. And they join us now. Hi, ladies. Hi. That was the best intro ever. (laughs) I know. I was like, God, I forgot we did all that stuff. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. When I have uh, people like you on with these long resumes and all of this achievement, it like ends up eating up half the interview because y'all have achieved so much. So I'm so thrilled to have you here. And do you prefer to go by your handles, Daisy and Mock? That's, you can call us, hey, you. Whatever. We answer answer to everything at this point. I love it. I love it. How did those handles, how did you guys get sort of those those names? Were you doing talk radio and and you just came up with them like shock jocks? 
No, as a matter of fact, um, we we actually didn't start in radio. That was not our path at all. We were both in corporate America for most of our working careers. And um, I had just a silly little website on the side, a little blog. Um, And at that point, I had asked my husband for help with naming myself for the blog because it mocked celebrities and pop culture and politics and all of that stuff. And and he was like, well, what about Macarena? And I thought, I like it. And so um, then when we became friends in corporate America, because I was a recruiter and she was a medical writer and I ended up hiring her um, and we became best friends instantaneously, that was the summer of 2008. And we were just hearing about this super charismatic guy named Obama And all of a sudden, it was all we could talk about at lunch because we couldn't understand the fascination with him. And so Daisy, at the uh, in December of 2008, after the election, she was like, this is all we talk about. No one's talking politics in the way that we are. Let's start a website. And the website is really how the Chicks on the Right began. Fantastic. And then and then how did the Daisy yeah. name come about? Well, it's not half as exciting as hers. I just <laughs> I have a tattoo of a Daisy on my hip and I like daisies. And so I was like, I gotta come up with something because we had to have monikers because we did work in corporate America and we knew that as conservative women people were gonna try to kill us. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, you know, we I, I'll just pick Daisy. That sounds good. And so that's what I picked. Not half as exciting. Well, a, a tattoo is very exciting, Daisy, okay? You buried the lead. You got a tattoo. Can I ask you, what part of the body is it on? That was, I have two. I have a, a tattoo of a Daisy on my hip. And then I have a tattoo of a cross on my forearm. So I only have two. That's it. As exciting as I get. Well, very sexy. Okay, that is. A, I have to. I, I guess now I need a hip cool like handle, I, and I'm not. I'm not hip or cool at all. Okay, so I don't know what. <laughs> all right, I'm going to task you guys with coming up with a handle for me. Okay. Um, I love you guys. I love what you do. I love your fearlessness and and your sense of fun because I always say on this show, if we don't laugh, we cry, uh, given the state of the world and the state of the country. So we are always intent on, on yes, uh, bringing the truth about the very dark place where the country is right now, but we always uh, share some laughs too. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, I thought we would start with 2024, which is what everybody is obsessed with. We are heading toward the end of the year and starting New Year's Day, boom, we are going to be off to the races. Iowa votes on January 15th, and then we're going to have just a rapid tumble of primaries uh, coming at us, both on the GOP and the Democratic side. What is your view of, let's start with the Republicans first. Is this primary over? It appears to have been over since at least March. Um, well, I... <laughs> I do. I think that Trump is going to be our guy. I think that that's inevitable at this point. I do think it's over. Um, I, you know, I just hope that people get out and vote. I'm a precinct chair here in Texas. I live in Texas. Miriam lives in Indy still until she moves. She's going to be moving soon. Um, but I, you know, when it comes to the 2024 race overall, I just get really worried about Republicans because we tend to be lazy when it comes to actually getting to the polls just from a precinct chair perspective you know i looked at like 2022 and we talk a big talk but when it comes to rallying we we have trouble rallying we have trouble getting to the polls i worry about actual feet getting to (laughs) 
the polls and people getting up off their butts and voting. I worry about that. And I worry about us rallying, unifying um, when it counts. And so that worries me a little bit about 2024. But I do think um, Trump will be the guy. And but I, I just worry about all of us as a as a party. It's, We're always a hot mess, Daisy. I mean, really, you know, we've got we've got all the facts on our side. We've got the strength in numbers. There are more of us than there are of them. And yet we can't seem to get our shit together. I'm sorry, but, you know, we've now had a couple of election cycles, Mock, where, um, you know, we the RNC has not been on top of the rules changes that the Democrats did illegally in 2020 with COVID as an excuse. We have not stayed on top of that ballot harvesting, ballot curing, getting people out, early voting. We have not been on top of that. And so now they're like, well, I guess we're going to be on top of it now after we've lost two election cycles, but we're going to be fighting the last war when the left is going to come up with new and creative ways to win next year that we haven't even thought of yet. Right. And that's really the frightening part is that they do seem to use your words. They do seem to have their shit together a lot more than our side does. And so and we talk about this constantly on our show every morning, how important it is to show up in overwhelming numbers. And now it's not even necessarily about showing up. It's about showing out. And that means if you're going to do a mail-in ballot, do a mail-in ballot. Do an early vote ballot. We used to, as Republicans, really shy away from that. We were so stubborn about wanting to show up on Election Day. And then, you know, things happen on Election Day that can't be helped or whatever. And so I think we need to be playing all the same games that Democrats do. We just have to get better at playing the games. And so you're right. I do worry about the fact that they seem to have... They always seem to be like two steps ahead of Republicans when it comes to shenanigans, right? And we're just, we tend to be like the more high integrity party. So we're not thinking, how can we cheat <laughs> better? And they are really good at it. Yeah. And then you, and then you have the, the notion of the only Trumpers, the never Trumpers, that whole faction of folks in our party. Like I, I you know, I compare our party to middle school girls because I have one in my house right now. So we God bless like, you. Right. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I just send alcohol. Okay. But I, but we tend to be like middle school girls where we're very um, clicky in our party. We don't rally. Whereas they're more like the frat guys, right? Where they're just like, whatever, we're all going to get along no matter what. Democrats are like that. They rally. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, they could, they, they're for Biden for Christ's sake. I mean, that guy is a dementia-ridden old man. He has no idea what he's saying. He's a complete loser. And they'll still, if he's the guy, they will rally for him. He's been a complete disaster on all levels. We're careening off a cliff and they'll still vote for that guy. They'll still do it. But we, like, we'll have a guy who's, I mean, he's a proven, he's been a proven success. And we'll still be like, we'll have the only Trumpers, the never Trumpers, people who'll be like, well, I'm going to stay home because I, because of this reason or that reason, we just have a, we have trouble rallying, and I really wish we would um, suck it up and just get better at um, unifying. That's I just wish we would do that, and I don't. I think it's because we're the, a party of individuals. We are. Um, we're, we are. We're just. We're all about individualism and, and personal responsibility, and that's that's what we're all about. So people tend to lean on that side, and they're not about a group. 
um, group think culture. And so we tend to, to be more individual, but that's sometimes to our demise. That is an excellent point. You know, I spoke at a lunch in New York yesterday and the gentleman who was seated next to me um, asked me, he, he said, you know, in uh, the last go around, um, actually, I guess the last two go rounds, Bernie Sanders was running for president and he had a very passionate following. And yet when he when he got screwed out of the nomination by Biden, um, the, the Bernie bros just sort of all fell into line, right? They all voted for Biden. Like nobody said, well, I'm going to stay home uh, because right. Bernie Sanders got screwed out of the nomination. They don't do that. And, and I said to him, yeah, because the left thinks only in terms of raw power, getting it, seizing it, holding on to it and using it. Our side is over here, like talking policy, like school choice and tax rates and all of that stuff is incredibly important. But we're over here having these policy discussions while they're over there in like a, a secular kind of rapture kind of thing about just getting power and wielding it without apology. And I just, you know, we, we got to get to that point. We're too nice on our side. I'm not encouraging anybody to break the law, but we are way too nice and, and standing on principle, like all these never Trumpers. Well, I mean, tweets really offend me. Oh yeah. Well, now you've got world war three. You've got an economy in collapse. You've got a wide open border. Come on, take your mean tweets and stuff it. Right. And, that's, and policy- that's actually something that we say in our show a lot, too, is that the only Trumpers, the folks who are only going to vote for him, and if it's if somehow it is somebody else on the ticket, they will not vote for whoever that is, are just as dangerous as the never-Trumpers. And so we say that a lot, that there has to be unity behind whoever the Republican candidate ends up being, even if it's not your favorite. Because I'll be honest, Trump isn't my favorite. But if he's the nominee, you can absolutely be assured that I will be getting behind him and voting for him in the general because the alternative we have seen is completely unthinkable. Well, policy doesn't mean crap if you don't win. So correct talk about policy, all that they can talk about policy until their face turns blue. But I mean, this are, are my kids, my grandkids, you know, they're going to be enjoying socialist policies if we don't freaking win. And so that's just the bottom line. Well, that's exactly right. You know, my mom has a, a neighbor who is a registered Republican and, you know, he's always voted Republican, but, you know, he's still offended by Trump's style. So he's like, well, if it's Trump or Biden, I'm just going to stay home. And I said, well, he might as well then oh, just God. vote for Biden. Like, how stupid are you? And this is a highly educated man, long, successful career in corporate America. I mean, come on. The, our side does not quite yet get, I mean, you and I do and this audience does, your audience gets it. This country is hanging by a thread. We are at the tipping point. We are in a war for the future of the country and the hour is late. If you don't get that, get out of the way. Exactly. Totally get out of the way. Absolutely. All right, let's turn to the Democrats because I do believe the Republican primary is over. Trump is up by 50, 60 points over the other uh, Republicans. They're all thinking, well, he may go to prison. So, I mean, if that is your, <laughs> if that's your pitch to the voters, like, oh, well, I'm still in this race because the top guy leading by 60 points might go to jail. That is not a big selling point. 
Do you wonder, though, about the polls? Like, because I do. I mean, you know, I look at Twitter and I and I see people just rallying behind one candidate or the, or the other. And it makes me wonder, are we all just falling for fake polls again? Or is this lead really, really, really that far ahead? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Iowa will be a huge tell about that. Um, and then I think at that point, then I think it's it's over. Because if the polls bear out, what we're seeing in them now it's just you know we've always preached don't believe the polls we saw what happened in 2016 and so now i kind of feel like are we making a mistake by just assuming that it's over i don't know it's possible it's a good question because i feel like in 2022 last year we kind of got set up like oh red wave is coming and then we got set up so anything is possible i I will say the vast vast majority of polls actually all the polls show trump with a massive lead i is quirky. So that, I mean, if, if Trump doesn't win Iowa, say, or Nikki Haley does, or DeSantis does, um, it, that is not necessarily a gauge of how the rest of the race is going to go. Iowa always right. is kind of like an oddball kind of state, beautiful state, great people, but very like sort of independent, we're going to show you. Um, and actually, a lot of times, if you win Iowa, you don't win the nomination. So I'm not sure about that. But once New Hampshire and South Carolina start to kick in, you know, I just think Donald Trump Trump has such an emotional bond with the voters, not political, not intellectual, emotional. And that is very difficult, if not impossible for the others to overcome. And I, I agree with that because we we see that a lot in our audience. For sure. You know? We do. It's it, they it's either they are all in, you know, they just love him. They love him from a, just a it's such a loyal following or they're or they're they don't. It's it's one or the other. There's no in between. Yeah, that's right. And I the people, the vast majority of Republicans cannot wait to vote for him again because they want to make it up to him. And so that yeah. kind of passion you can't overcome with, oh, I took on Disney. I mean, that, that's all important. Like, I'm so glad that DeSantis did that. Um, and he is taking on the woke stuff. Again, all incredibly important, but you're not going to overcome Donald Trump getting screwed and constantly attacked by the deep state in this country with, I took on Disney. It's just not it's just not going to work. All right, let's turn to the Democrats, because, well, I think the GOP race is over. I think the race on the Democratic side has not yet begun. Do you guys think that Joe Biden is going to make it? I don't. I totally don't. I, I've been saying for the past couple of weeks on our show that um, I think he'll be the nominee and then something will happen where they're going to have like these meetings behind closed doors. I don't know what's going to happen behind closed doors because this is what the Democrats always do. They'll be all shifty. And then somehow greasy weasel Newsom will get in there and he'll be the guy. He's just, my God, they've been posturing him to be the guy. I think he's going to be their guy. I think. Yeah. We've, we've, we've speculated that maybe something will happen at the convention Mm -hmm. um, where Biden, you know, just decides to bow out for health reasons, perhaps. um, And then Gavin swoops in, but that doesn't answer the question about what the, what they'll do with Kamala, who is ostensibly next in line and who would be the first black woman president, you know? And so I I don't know how they manage that because that's going to, how do Democrats square their their constant identity politics with pushing her aside for a white guy? I don't know how I think they it, I don't know how they do that. I personally think it goes back to the whole they just rally. I think everybody on that side knows how completely useless she is. 
and how dumb she is and they just <laughs> say it out loud. Yeah. They won't say it out loud. And they'll figure out a way to just make her sort of go. And it's not like she's not set for life. You know, they'll figure out a way to make her just sort of fade in the background. And I mean, it's it, she'll she'll smile and be happy and wave, you know, and just be a happy little party member. And she'll do what she has to do. And this this is my hypothesis anyway. But I think it'll be Gavin. I'll tell you uh, guys how I think the Democrats might square that circle. Uh, Mock to your question, because black women are the most devoted pillar of the Democrats constituency. Right. So they can't afford to alienate black women. They need them to come out in droves and passionately. So the only way if they decide to get rid of both Biden and Harris, and believe me, this is a really hard thing to do. It's hard to get rid of one, but to get rid of two is really hard. Um, But we know what the deep state is capable of. So if they were to do that, the way they square that circle is by running Michelle. And if they oh run, if they run Michelle Obama, we're, that is a challenge that I don't want to face. So let's all hope and pray yeah. that they don't. Um, but that is the only she person. want to do it. But, but maybe she, no could, she wants but to. But listen, that's interesting though, Monica, because maybe she could be the VP. And let's just, I mean, let's get real. Like VP is not, it's not president. It's not like she's having to do a whole lot. She could be Wait, the who VP. who could be VP? Michelle. But that doesn't Gavin. solve the oh to get. But that doesn't Gavin. That still means you're getting rid of two people. That's a that's a call order. Or or you guys, they keep Biden. They run him. They get rid of Kamala. They move her off into the Supreme Court or something, right. uh, and they move in Michelle as VP. And then uh-huh. if Biden's uh, reelected. He steps aside. She becomes president. I mean, I realize that we're teasing out these crazy sounding scenarios, but what we've been through over the last like 10 years between COVID and shutdowns and I mean, the unthinkable is now thinkable and I don't put anything past them. I totally agree. Anything's possible at this point. Anything. (laughs) I just I have to believe I'm hoping, I guess maybe it's just the optimist in me that that Michelle doesn't want this office because if to your point if she is the person we will not trump will not beat her there's no way that he will beat her there she's just too popular i mean broadly popular and i don't i mean i'm not saying that because i like her i don't but i do think that that would be that would i don't think he could overcome her as a challenge biden i just i think he's got a good shot michelle obama no way Oh, I think she's horrific. She's awful. Yeah, we all think that, but Mock's point is exactly right. She is considered an icon, right? She's always named the number one most admired woman in America. You know, she's a woman. She's a woman of color, so you can't criticize her, be called a racist. She, I mean, the whole thing. And, you know, Mock, I hope that you are right in assuming that she doesn't want it, but I think that assumption is the conventional uh, wisdom for a reason that they have put that out there. This woman is very political. I mean, remember, she grew up in Chicago where her father was a precinct captain. So from the time she was three years old, she was going to Democrat uh, precinct meetings with her father. She's more political than Barack ever was. Barack was sort of the, the communist kind of radical. Michelle is more of like a machine Democrat politician. So, look, I hope that we are wrong about this, um, I, because if they run her, Mock, 
Mark, you're exactly right. She's the only one who could be Donald Trump. And that is going to be a huge challenge. In fact, I had President Trump on this show a couple of months ago, and I asked him, I was like, um, are you ready for all contingencies, including Michelle? And he was like, oh, yeah, you know how he is. I, <laughs> I, he never lets anybody see him sweat. And he was like, oh, yeah, we're, all for, we're ready for all candidates. I hope so. Um, you know, I hope that he and his team are ready in case they do pull some uh, bait and switch uh, and get Biden and Harris out of there, because you got to be ready for the worst case scenario. And she yeah. would be the worst case scenario. Let's just hope that she's enjoying her Netflix money right. way too much and her and her beautiful house on the, you know, on the coast that is going to be that's eroding. You know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Climate change. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They have two houses right on the water, Martha's Vineyard and Hawaii. And they're lecturing us about don't eat meat and eat the bugs for climate change. Fair square. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) I know. No, it's true. But I think, you know, what's super scary about Michelle possibly running is that the Biden so-called presidency has proven that When you have the protection of the press, as the left does, um, you can install a puppet president who really doesn't have to do much because you got a team around them. So Michelle can get in there and really not do all that much, but have the entire Obama machine, which is running the country now, just stay in place. And, you know, she won't have to work that hard. Like Biden is not working that hard. We totally say that this is Obama's third term. Yep. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And so if Michelle did get in, it would be the fourth term, right? And they want a fourth and a fifth. That is another thing that's very scary about the idea that Michelle could run. So we will watch this and 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 keep a close eye on it and pray that it doesn't happen. Okay, ladies, I'm going to ask you to please stand by much more with the chicks on the right coming up straight ahead. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, we are back with more with Daisy and Mock from the Chicks on the Right. Speaking of, like Michelle and Kamala, women voters, particularly suburban and and rural women voters. We had elections this year. They're off your elections. But in Ohio, where abortion was a major issue, Virginia, uh, where Republicans uh, did not gain control over either house of the state legislature, that was very bad. And so the conventional wisdom sort of is that suburban women don't like the GOP stance on abortion. And we've got to figure out a new playbook to get those female voters, especially if they're only single issue voters on that issue. What do you guys think? I mean, I'm I'm rural and Miriam's more suburban. So, I mean, as a rural woman and I talk to other rural women, I know that, you know, we're thinking more about the kitchen table issues. Like I can't afford gas and food, (laughs) like things like and edu- my my child's education, you know, things like I'm saving for retirement. I'm not going to be able to retire one day. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, those are the issues that I hear women around me talking about things like that. I just, 
So, I, you know, most of the people that are in my area are red, are, you know, Republicans. So perhaps Miriam should talk, speak to this. Well, I, I just, I, you know, Republicans are, re, that's a huge struggle. The messaging mm-hmm. around abortion for Republicans is a huge struggle. I think out of the candidates, I think Nikki's trying, you know, to, she to is. change that messaging in a way that's more palatable to sort of the every woman. Um, and to the extent that that Republicans can avoid the issue altogether, I think it helps them because there are so many people, to Daisy's point, who are struggling with real life stuff day to day and not thinking about abortion on a daily on a daily basis. However, there are single issue voters that do care about it. I think the most important thing for Republicans to square up their messaging about is to remind people that this is not the Supreme Court did not take away anyone's right to an abortion. I hate when I hear that constantly because that's Mm -hmm. not what happened. The Supreme Court simply allowed states to decide for themselves. And that's what they're doing. And so I don't know if if reframing that is something that Republicans need to just do better at. But the the whole message that the Democrats scream that, oh, the Supreme Court took your rights away is just nonsense. And I hate that we don't seem to fight back on that issue a lot. Well, that would that would require, you know, Ronna McDaniel to come out with some PR stuff about that or, you know, like the RNC to actually do some work and and being on the offense when it comes to PR. And we've always sucked at that. Yeah. Don't hold your breath with Ronna McDaniel and the RNC. It's not going to come from them. You know, Mark, to your point about uh, not speaking about it much, uh, Trump does that. Trump says, look, I am pro-life. And then he stops talking. (laughs) Right. He doesn't he doesn't get into it. He starts talking about other things. Um, And I think that is a smart strategy. But the Democrats are going to push it down everybody's throats next year like they did last year to really, you know, talking about a federal ban, whether it's 12 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever the conversation is. They are going to use Republicans who are useful idiots. They're going to use their own side, their propaganda press to really push this message to scare women on abortion. And it's going to be a big problem. That's why we need messaging on this issue that is pro-mother and pro-baby, you know, in in ways to talk about it. You mentioned, Daisy, you're rural. uh, Mock, you are suburban. I'm sitting in New York City right now. So from the city perspective, I know abortion is is a huge issue in these deep blue areas, but you're not going to change those minds. We have to go for the women and men, frankly, who care about this issue in the areas where we can really persuade them. So that's going to be a, a pretty heavy lift. You know, also, I take a look at different groups, though, where there there are glimmers of hope, the black vote, the Latino vote, uh, women, not, not necessarily, well, younger voters, let me put it that way, younger voters, including younger women, are hemorrhaging away from the Democrat Party because there's no real future there. Right. And and I think a lot of people are starting to wake up. That doesn't mean that President Trump and the GOP are going to get, you know, 30 percent of the black vote. I just don't think that's realistic. But if he and the GOP could ship away at a significant enough number of votes of those traditionally Democrat constituencies, that could be a political earthquake. Yeah, I, I just so. I wish they would focus more on, you know, they would take this and use it as an opportunity to grab some of those younger voters from a financial perspective, because those kids, I say kids, you know, I have a 
a 34 year old and a 30 year old. My stepkids are, are of that age and then I have a 13 year old too. But my older kids, they, uh, you know, the, the middle one is wanting to buy a house. It's virtually impossible for that age group to buy a house right now. I mean, so using that to their advantage, we should be doing that. We should be talking to that age group and saying, okay, this is what we can do for you. Because that's essentially what people want when they're voting. They want to look at a political party and say, what can you do for me and my family? And we're just doing a piss poor job of that as a party. Like we're not reaching out to groups of people or to just the American people in general and saying, this is what we can do for you. And it's not, we're going to pay off your freaking school loan. We're not going to buy your vote. We're going to tell you what we can do to make your lives better. And here's a list of those things. And not just paying off a loan, but this is what we're going to do for you in the long run. Overall, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your life in general, this is how everything's going to get better if you vote for us. We're just not doing that. And we could do such a better job at that. Oh my God. You know, President Trump just wrote um, an op-ed for Newsweek directed to younger voters saying exactly that, Daisies, you know, saying, here's what I did for four years. So we've got four years of real evidence of what he delivered for the forgotten men and women of all ages, races, genders, etc. although there are only two genders. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, he's laying out the case. Look, I did it once before I can do it again, which is a very powerful message. But, you know, Mock, when you think about how indoctrinated these kids are. And this has been going on for decades. But, you know, the fact that they are like pro-Hamas, that they are anti-Semitic, and they don't bury it at all. It's like right out in the open where they're, they're protesting on campuses where they've got Jews actually in hiding. I mean, Jews in hiding, okay? I mean, it is so outrageous. How do we overcome that kind of indoctrination and get to these younger voters with what Daisy was laying out about how we are going to make their lives better? Well, it's a, that's a tall order, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because the schools have been so overrun by the woke ideology, and now we're seeing we're seeing the fruits of that labor, and it's terrifying. Because you know, you wanted initially after October seventh, there was like I don't know a twenty four hour period where the world was horrified, and then all of a sudden you started to see this shift. And I thought, well, this has got to be a fringe, right? Like this is just a crazy fringe group of weirdos who thinks this way and who is actually going to go and you know, scream from the river to the sea out in public and not feel shame about it and, in fact, be proud of it. But it, it's not. It's spreading like a cancer, partly because of social media, because of the ease of access that everyone has to see these weirdos and then to be inspired by them. Um, but it all has started from early education. We have been screaming about this for mm-hmm. the entire time that we've been chicks on the right. Since 2009, we yeah. have been saying parents, you cannot assume that your child is getting the kind of education that you got as a grade schooler, as an elementary schooler, as a high schooler. And it is only because we know it's happening. Our, what we say to parents all the time is, you know this is happening in schools, so therefore you have to preemptively tell your kid what to look for when mm-hmm. they're being indoctrinated. You have to tell them they're going to try to indoctrinate you and here's how. And so when their kids are armed with that information in advance, they know they're smart. These kids know when they're being lied to mm-hmm. if they know in advance that yeah. that is the strategy. And so that has to be 
the conservative strategy to get ahead of it with our kids. Because I don't know. It's so far gone in the school system. I don't know any other way to combat it. Yeah. And a lot of people say just to homeschool your kids, homeschool your kids. I don't necessarily listen. I'm not I have nothing against homeschooling. I think homeschooling is great, but not everybody has the luxury of doing that. So I don't necessarily agree with that in every single case. So what I will say is, OK, also you can combat it. I mean, don't give up. It's like I, I don't give up on our public schools. I mean, I think we can fight back, too. I mean, there's also, you know, raise conservative kids, do exactly what Mock just said with those kids and then arm those kids to go into education and become teachers. Yes. <laughs> and make our schools better. Like, take them back, man. This is like, why give up? Don't give up. You know, here, here's the thing, though, you guys. <clears throat> here's the thing. So we were talking about, um, you know, what a dark moment this is for the country. The weaponization of our own government against us, to me, is the biggest threat we face. And it has so many different tentacles out there. So when... Parents during COVID were watching what their kids were being taught in their Zoom classes. They were absolutely horrified. And they began to show up to school board meetings. And guess what? The weaponized government sicked the FBI on them, which is terrifying and an absolute abuse of power, completely tyrannical. And yet, you know, the, the Biden DOJ, Merrick Garland, the FBI, no problem whatsoever targeting regular people, regular parents. And it is a freezing effect. It is a messaging event. Don't even think about standing up for your kids, for what's right, because we will destroy you the way we are destroying Donald Trump, the January 6th defendants, and these parents. That's what it is all about, guys. So when we say let's stand up for our kids, let's go into teaching, it, that is a, a, we have to do it. But what kind of words of advice would you give to people who want to do this but are scared of their own government? Their strength in numbers. Yep. You, you, can't, you can't be afraid. Like we, and we, gosh, we've been saying that forever. I mean, we, the, the amount of emails that we get of people um, that will say, we agree with everything that you say, but we just can't say it because we're afraid to say it. Like in our workplace, we're afraid to say it in our friend group. We're afraid to say it to our family. We're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid. Quit being afraid. That is what, that's what makes conservatives lose. That makes us lose. And that makes Democrats and liberals and all this craziness, this lunacy become amplified and win. And it squelches all of us. Your fear. Stop being afraid. It's like, what are you teaching your kids? If you can't even stand up and fight for what you believe in, what are you showing your, what are you saying to your kids? It's like, you can't raise strong kids if you're not strong yourself. Yeah. So you got to not be afraid first and then fight. You got to fight. You got to stand up. And strength in numbers is exactly right. Strength in numbers. Yeah, because there's people in your community, if you're afraid, I guarantee there's people in your community who are also afraid. Mm -hmm. Those connections just need to be made. That's actually the power of social media is people being able to find their people. And it's one thing that we've been really good at, I think, is developing and building community that, you know, our followers are just some of the most incredible people Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And they find strength in numbers. They know that they're with like-minded people when they're, you know, live streaming and they're chatting with us in real time. Mm -hmm. I think that is an empowering thing. And so you can't just sit inside and cower. You got to go find your people and then you got to be loud. Yeah, that's the thing we've been most proud of. Like, it's never been about like 
being famous or money or anything like that. We're, we're all about community and that, man, our community, it's like we're just like this little band of misfits and we love it. That's <laughs> been the, the greatest thing for us. And we do meet and greets and all that kind of stuff. And we the people are just extraordinary. So nice. I know. The community here on this show, the Monica Crowley podcast, same thing. Like I hear from them yeah. and it, it's just really nice to know that you are not alone because, yeah. it, you know, it, it can be a very isolating experience when you start thinking about the country and what can I do as a a single person in this world. But man, when you've got that community and you know you're not alone and there are so many other people, there is strength in numbers. And just look at what we were able to accomplish organically by taking on woke corporations like Disney, like Target, like Bud Light. All of that was just a prairie fire of organic. One person saying, I'm disgusted by what Bud Light did. I'm not buying it anymore. The entire brand tanked. The bottom line tanked. And that was just all organic. So when we feel ourselves, when we feel our own power, and we realize there are so many others who think the exact same way, you know, that power is what they don't want us to realize. And so we got to, every day we've got to realize it, right? I still, I still like to think we're half the country, right? More than half. So yeah, we're more than half the country. We're out there. I just think that we're not the ones being shown in, you know, movies. We're not the ones being shown on TV. We're not the ones being shown on, you know, mainstream media, places like that. So we're just not as loud and obnoxious. <laughs> well, that's it. My, my very first boss, former President Richard Nixon, first called us the great silent majority, right? And now that's evolved over time to, to uh, America first, you know, make America great again. But we're all the same movement. But now we've finally gotten loud now it's late in the in the game here because communists have been chipping away at this country for decades. But at least, I mean, better late than never. And we've discovered we've discovered what's actually going on here. And I think so many of us are mobilized. And you guys, you do such important work in this direction. Your show is fabulous. It's smart. It's fun, as everybody can hear. You guys are absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, Monica. You. I mean, we had such, so much fun. So kind. So kind. can't wait to have you on our show. We're so delighted to talk to you today. Oh, I can't wait to join you guys. I will let my audience know when I'm going to be with you and you guys are, are on camera. So as I joked with you, I know you air <laughs> early in the morning and you were like, oh, we'll pre-tape you. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Um, I look beautiful. Oh, no, not at all. You guys are stunning. Everybody should be watching your podcast weekdays. Tell us where everybody can see it and when. So chicksontheright.com uh, slash links is actually the best place to go because it lists not only where to get our podcast, which is where every, uh, where every podcast is found, but all of our socials, all of our insider, supporter, subscriber groups are listed there as well as our website, too. Fantastic. Chicksontheright.com. Amy Jo Clark, Miriam Weaver, known on the air as Daisy and Macarena. You guys are fabulous. Thank you so much for this. Thank Thank you. you. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks, guys. Well, another fantastic show done. I want to thank you guys so much for being here, as always, and for checking out our phenomenal sponsors. Have a very good start to your week, and I will see you right back here on Thursday with yet another huge show. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockle Entertainment, LLC.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.